Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Friday, March 11th. Now Charleston takes a handful of stories three times a week and tells you why they're important. We've got a handful of bills to watch in the State House that are part of national culture war debates over race and gender identity. South Carolina may join the call soon for the first convention of the states since the American Revolution, but some politicians warn to be careful what you wish for. And what does the Major League Baseball lockout mean for the River Dogs? And I've got a Friday 4 list of new spots you should check out this weekend. All that, starting now. Culture war issues seem to bubble up in the South Carolina State House every year, no matter what else needs consideration. And this year is no exception. Lawmakers have sat in hearings for hours and hours the past few weeks, hearing testimony from South Carolina residents about two hot-button issues. One, restrictions on how history is taught in South Carolina schools, and two, restrictions on transgender students participating in school sports more recently. I know these are politically charged topics, but let's just run through them real quick. First, education. A handful of bills are seeking to restrict how history is taught in South Carolina public schools, specifically around critical race theory and gender identity. Critical race theory is a high-level academic evaluation of how race and inequality are embedded in American institutions, from education to policing to policymaking. It's not, it's not really taught in K-12 through education, but nonetheless, it's drawn the attention of conservatives both here statewide and nationally in national media. Supporters of the bills say they are intended to help parents maintain control over what their children learn, including about racism and gender identity. These are the bills you may have heard about that would pull books like the 1619 Project, specifically, like named specifically in one of the bills, uh, out of school libraries. But educators who testified before the State Education and Public Works Committee on February 16th insisted that the teaching methods the bills seek to stop are not used in South Carolina schools. And teachers and educators just want to be trusted to do their jobs. Here's A.J. Davis, who works at Burke High School in Charleston. What I would hope that this body understands is that teachers, who I fiercely fight for alongside parents, do not wake up in the morning, get out of their beds, and drive to any school building in this state to indoctrinate any kid. Even State Superintendent Molly Spearman, who has spoken out against critical race theory, spoke out against overly broad restrictions against teaching it, saying they set a bad precedent, according to the state newspaper. One item that runs through all these discussions of these education bills, including two sponsored by West Ashley State Rep. Lynn Bennett, is seeking to eliminate times when students might feel discomfort in the classroom. But Susie Long, a teacher educator at the University of South Carolina, said that's just part of learning. Here she is at that February 16th hearing. But as an early childhood educator, I can tell you, disequilibrium, a kind of discomfort, is something we go through on the way to learning something new, how to ride a bike, how to speak a language. It's that place on the way to learning how to solve a problem with the support of knowledgeable teachers. And that brings us to this question. One other bill that's back after being rejected twice last year would ban transgender women and girls from participating in middle school, high school, and college women's sports. Supporters of the bill say it's designed to level the playing field and that biological differences just give an unfair advantage to transgender women competing against someone who is born female. But advocates, speaking for students who would be directly affected by the law, say it disregards the lives of transgender students, calling the proposal reckless. 
Melissa Moore, who is the former leader of We Are Family here in Charleston and now works for the statewide uh, Women's Rights and Empowerment Network, said, quote, transgender people are a group that is unfairly attacked all the time. And, you know, our elected officials are elected to protect and support communities, not attack people, unquote. And the proposal has a very narrow focus, and that's one of the criticisms of it. The governing body of state high school sports in South Carolina has a procedure to allow a transgender student to get a waiver to compete according to their gender identity. But since the proposal went into effect in 2016, just two students have been granted waivers. The bill, called the Save Women's Sports Act, uh, appears to be a template bill similar to those filed in 22 other states, according to the state newspaper. Uh, You've probably seen coverage of legislation in Florida that prohibits classroom discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity with students in third grade or under. That specific proposal is not up for debate in South Carolina. But these bills all come as there's a national focus by conservatives on trying to pass controversial legislation that affects LGBTQ students in public schools, whether they're actually debating real prevalent issues in schools or not. South Carolina lawmakers have passed what they called a Hail Mary attempt to dramatically reform to dramatically reform national politics, adding South Carolina to a list of states seeking to rewrite amendments to the U.S. Constitution. The initial measure passed the House last year and passed the Senate this week. Uh, it needs a, another quick look at the changes by the House, and then it heads to Governor McMaster's desk. In all, under Article 5 of the current U.S. Constitution, two-thirds, or 34 states' legislatures have to request uh, what's called a convention of the states, at which delegates would propose amendments to the Constitution that would then have to be approved by three-quarters of state legislatures. That's 38 state governments. There's never been one of these conventions of the states, though it's kind of bubbled under the surface within national politics, mostly among conservatives, for more than 40 or 50 years. At the state level... Wonky conservatives like former U.S. Senator Jim DeMint have pushed for the convention as an easier end-around kind of than passing amendments piecemeal individually. Most of the policy items that supporters want to address have to do with reining in federal government power. As you might assume, state legislatures trying to rein in federal government power. Surprise, surprise. Uh, like balancing the budget or adding term limits to the, to the Constitution through an amendment, um, etc. But during debate about it in the Senate, Democrats opposed to the measure pointed out that that states much less conservative than South Carolina would also be involved, and that the idea could backfire. And current amendments, like the Second Amendment, could be targets for change. A column last month in The Federalist, which is a conservative website with an ironic name in this context, uh, warned of possible unintended outcomes for conservatives if the Convention of the States went through. Here's an excerpt from that column. Quote, Some well-meaning leaders seem to imagine themselves as latter-day founding fathers and excited followers in vision of festive gatherings socializing with Fox News celebrities who anticipate a good show. All should reconsider what they're asking for, unquote. The Charleston River Dogs are less than one month away from opening day, and whether the Major League lockout is over by then or not, uh, they are playing baseball at the Joe on April 8th. Single-game tickets went on sale this week, and as always, they start around 8 bucks. Promotional nights haven't been announced yet, but I'd be willing to bet that Thirsty Thursdays and Firework Fridays will make appearances on the calendar. Of course, the Riverdogs come back this year after winning the Low A East Championship last year. Uh, the Riverdogs are a Tampa Bay Rays farm team, uh, and their coach from last year is, is back, but the rosters haven't been announced quite yet. The Riverdogs are a low single A team in the system, meaning they're the first stop for any kind of reha- rehabilitation assignment for players. 
or player development, which is kind of the main goal uh, of the minor league system. All these guys are out there to help a very small percentage of them uh, get good enough to be ready to play in the major leagues. As the River Dogs reconfirmed that they are playing baseball on April 8th, Major League Baseball announced yesterday that a tentative agreement over a few key sticking points on contracts between the unionized players and the 30 Major League Baseball owners has been reached. So the Major League Baseball opening day will be about April 17th at this point, just to give them a few weeks to do a quick spring training. All right, it is almost the weekend. So I've got a Friday four list of restaurants and bars that have opened since the pandemic that you might not have been able to check out yet. First up, Berkeley's downtown on Hugie Street at Rutledge Avenue. This is from the couple that did the We Flew South pop-up that served some bomb hoagie style sandwiches. Um, the brick and mortar menu added a bunch of lighter and more restauranty type fare when it opened in August last year. Um, it's just a solid neighborhood spot that's got a good bar list, good outside space. Try it out. You can find a table on Resi. Chasing Sage, down around the corner south on Rutledge, south of the Crosstown. Um, Chasing Sage opened in June last year, and emphasizing farm-fresh vegetables and sustainably grown menu items, the smaller plates look simple. They're kind of little riffs on key ingredients that make them more interesting and unique. It's a little more on the expensive side if you load up your table, but it's a good option for a new spot to try. My wife and I went for brunch last Sunday and really enjoyed it too. Um... The weather was nice. We sat in the front with the big double doors open onto the sidewalk. It's a good spot to check out. Tattooed Moose is the newest spot on your... Tattooed Moose. This is the newest spot on the Friday 4 list. The new Tattooed Moose in Park Circle is hilarious because it's exactly what you would expect. It's Tattooed Moose. Um, there's writing on the walls already. Video games, big outdoor space, big bar, solid food. It's the Moose. Everyone raves about the Duck Club, but I usually go for the wings. The burgers are good, too. And if you're headed to Park Circle this weekend for the St. Patrick's Day Festival all-day party down on Montague, be warned. Uh, check it out. Good time to check it out. Sharehouse and Bodega opened recently downtown by the folks from Uptown Social. Sharehouse has another big indoor-outdoor space, reliable food. You can see what they've done to the space between... Ann Street and John Street is right there across from the music farm. There you go. Four spots. Four new spots to check out this weekend. That's all I've got for you today. If you've got feedback, you can let me know by leaving a voice message. 843-474-1319 or email sam at nowcharleston.com. If you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, that would also be a big help. And as always, you can check nowcharleston.com for links and notes from today's show. And to be sure you don't miss anything, follow twitter.com slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend, y'all. Uh, I'll be back Monday with the next Now Charleston. Now Charleston.